Welcome to episode nine of the Faith to Influence podcast. I'm Justin Janowski, your host, and today my guest is Johnny Joy. Johnny is a fourth generation Colorado Springs native who spent most of his adult life in bars and hotels, creating habits there that were later compounded by the loss of multiple family members in a really short period of time, which ultimately led to alcohol totally controlling his life. He found sobriety in March of 2014, and from that point forward, his life has headed in a totally new direction. He met and married his dream girl, they had their first baby this past summer, and he now has his dream job as the morning show host on an award-winning radio station. He says that one of the greatest parts of his journey is helping as many people as he can. He's had the privilege of speaking to tens of thousands of people and helping many in their conquering of addiction, among other things, and he shares that the meaning of his life is to give away what he feels was so freely given to him, which is opportunity, love, and gratitude. In today's episode, we talk about his addiction, and Johnny really vulnerably, really openly shares about what it was like, even getting as bad as drinking eight bottles of wine a day. He talks about losing people he loved to overdose. He talked about being in this incredibly painful internal struggle and ignoring so much of what was going on inside of him and using the addiction, using the alcohol to continue to ignore the trauma and the pain that he ultimately really needed to work through in healthier ways. He does share his journey to sobriety and what got him there, including his three secrets to getting sober and overcoming addiction. And he talks about his experience now, what it's like being a morning show host and a multiple award-winning morning show host and getting to interview celebrities and connect with country music stars and all of what's happened in the last several years of his life. I expect that you will find his hero's journey to be inspiring and encouraging, and I'm hopeful that you will draw a lot of value from this and also share the interview with those in your life who you love, who you know may need to listen in and lean in to what Johnny has to share. Enjoy it. As always, go to F2i, that's the number two, f2igift.com for a free audio gift from us. I'll share more about that at the end of the episode. Cheers. Johnny Joy is my guest today. Johnny, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thanks, man. Yeah, my pleasure. So Johnny is a radio show host, a country music radio show host here in Colorado Springs. We met him through Karina, similar to one of our recent guests. Karina used to work at a coffee shop before starting with Faith to Influence, and she is the queen of networking. And so naturally, she has connected us to so many people who came into her swanky, amazing coffee shop, Wayfinder. And one of them was Johnny Joy, who later had the opportunity to connect Karina to Cody Johnson and get her a meet and greet with her favorite country artist. And, and then Karina told me more about Johnny's story and said, man, you have to have Johnny on the podcast. And I thought, absolutely, once I heard his story. And thankfully, he was willing to be on with us. And so before getting into uh, being a radio show host and this morning show where you've won a lot of awards, which we'll talk more about later, you were having a little bit of a hard time in your 20s. And so I want to just ask Johnny if we can open the show with you sharing about your life story kind of up to radio and sure. some of the challenges you experienced with addiction and whatever you want to share with our listeners. 
Sure, absolutely. And again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I'm, a, I'm an open book about this because I think it's absolutely necessary. You know, addiction is, is as far reaching as anything. It doesn't know gender or age or religion. It, it, it just is. Um, so, uh, the nuts and bolts, I fourth generation native of Colorado Springs, uh, born and raised here. And, uh, you know, my childhood was not that different from anyone else's. It wasn't a traumatic childhood. It wasn't something where, you know, there was a reason I had to rush out and drink. Um, you know, my mom is my hero. She's still here in Colorado Springs and, uh, and she was raised me as a single mom, my father and her divorced when I was about eight and it was a messy divorce. Not like, you know, I mean, as a lot are, unfortunately, but you know, my mom was a single parent to my sister and I, and, uh, and my sister was four and a half years older than me. And uh, so there, there wasn't anything out of the ordinary throughout my childhood. I was a, I was a solid B minus student. Uh, you know, I, I went to community college, went to Colorado State. Um, I, I got an associate's degree. I got a culinary certificate from the Art Institute of Colorado. And now I work in radio. So obviously, <laughs> all those things are, are working out uh, swimmingly. Um, you know, when you when one suffers from addiction, you kind of have to take a couple steps back and look at maybe the root cause. Was there some trauma? Was there something that you just constantly had to escape from? And that's what the discovery for me was. It wasn't one of those that you might hear stories where someone says, I had my first drink and I, there was no turning back. It was like, you know, the heavens opened and then that's what I was going to do. For me, it was, it was a slow progress. I was a, I was a bartender. Um, I started off as a dishwasher with old Chicago restaurants up in Boulder. And then I became a server, then I moved up to a cocktailer, and then a, a bartender, and then a bar manager. And it just kind of grew and grew along with that lifestyle. Now, my drinking was very, very tame for the most part until uh, it was uh, what we're looking at. We're looking at August of 2002. End of August 2002, I get a phone call. And uh, I was up in Denver just having lunch. And it was my aunt. And she calls and she says, hey, you need to get down to the Springs. I said, okay, what's, what's going on? And she said, it's, it's your sister. You need to get down here. Hmm. And I said, what's going on? You need to get down here. I said, is she alive? I said, you need to get down here. And it was at that point I was like, okay. And so, I mean, I don't even remember the drive down there. Uh, it was, it was just kind of a blur. I got to Penrose hospital, uh, in downtown Colorado Springs and got into the ICU where I saw my sister, um, 20, uh, she was 28 at the time, uh, hooked up to every hose, every monitor, um, every device, uh, possible. And as it turned out, she, she was a teacher. She had a, her master's degree in psychology, very, very smart gal, but she also, she dealt with some abandonment issues from my father and she liked painkillers. Hmm. And, uh, and as it turns out, one of her coworkers was a uh, was a a cancer patient and was being treated for, uh, you know, chemotherapy and um, had what's called a duragesic patch. We know fentanyl very well now. It's become a lot more uh, apparent. This is in 2002, where it wasn't known as well. Uh, my sister put a couple of those patches on, not knowing the strength, and she passed out on her back. She uh, aspirated, and she lay in the uh, ICU for four days at mm -hmm. Penrose Hospital. And so growing up, it was always just me, my mom, and my sister, as far as our family unit here in Colorado Springs. And so my mom and I had to make that call after four days and remove her from life support. You know, so oh. that that was no uh, without having to say anything else a very harsh blow yeah. to anybody yeah um 
And so I, I didn't really focus on myself. I was busy taking care of my mom. My mom was an absolute mess. Now as a parent, I can't even, I can't even wrap my brain around that. I can't even wrap my brain around it. Um, and so I was back up and finally after a couple, a couple weeks down here, maybe about a month, I went back up to Boulder, got back to work. And exactly nine months later, I'm at the exact same restaurant having lunch and my phone rings. And this time it's my mom. And she says, you need to get down uh, to South Denver. I said, what are you talking about? She's like, it's your cousin. The two people I grew up with, hmm. she had an accidental overdose. She was 32 years old. She was in the ICU for four days and we had to make that call. Hmm. And so I had to watch her pass in front of me as well. And so um, needless to say, then my, my mom is, is broken, my aunt's broken. And what I do is I try and fix people. I try and, and bring the light to as many people as I can. So I was so busy ignoring what was going on inside of me that all these things just compounded and compounded and snowballed and snowballed. And then about a year later, I was trying to make amends with my estranged father because I was watching my family die. And I was thinking to myself, I'm in my mid twenties. I haven't talked to my father since I was in my teens. He lives in Colorado Springs. I, I need to make amends with him, you know, figure out why things were separated, why eight years old, suddenly I didn't really have a father figure, maybe get some answers and just heal some of those wounds. And I get a voicemail from my stepmom one morning on September 5th saying, your father died of a heart attack this morning. And I said, okay. And I remember just feeling kind of like a breaking point where everything was just kind of numb. Mm. Because I'm like, what do I do? You know, I, people, I just keep losing people and I don't get to say what I need to say. And I didn't, it was, there was so much hurt inside of me. And that's when the drinking just started to go up. You know, if I, if I can backstep to exactly where it started, it began with my sister, and my cousin, but then after my father died, I, I was just like, okay. And I became it, the, 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 the drinks after work turned into having a drink at lunch. Mm. The drinks at lunch turned into, well, maybe I'll have a bloody Mary in the morning. You know, let's have some mimosas. And that just, uh, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. By the time I turned 30, I was a full-blown alcoholic, but nobody knew it. That's the thing is I wouldn't allow myself to get drunk in public. I, I, I had a, a, a sort of an image to uphold. So I wouldn't allow myself to be exposed for what was really going on. But the private pain I lived in was intense. Mm. It was It was intense. And there's a level that it crosses where people ask, is addiction really a disease? Yes, it is. Because physically, you can get to yourself to a level where you're absolutely addicted. Okay. I, I, I decided to get out of the food and beverage industry and I started working for a hotel down here in Colorado Springs and instantly started dating a gal that worked in sales, finally someone that wasn't in food and beverage. Um, I was drinking so heavily, I'd come into a good chunk of money um, through an inheritance and uh, I decided I'd get married to her and that lasted about 11 months. She couldn't handle my drinking. I don't necessarily blame her. Um, at one point she had taken away my debit card because I was drinking so much. She didn't want me to keep drinking. Um, but what she didn't realize is when you take an alcoholic to the level that I was drinking at and you take away the supply of alcohol physically, it can have some very dire consequences. I had a grand mal seizure um, and was in Penrose Hospital, ironically, uh, the same hospital that my sister died for five days. I don't remember a moment of that. And um, after that, I did a 30-day program. Uh, I got out of the, the, the rehab hospital, 
and relapsed almost immediately because I wasn't taking care of my head. I wasn't taking on what was going on between my ears. Yeah. Rehab hospitals are, are all well and good, but without the backing of the things that are really important, like your desire to be sober, your desire to get well, mm-hmm. uh, finding your faith, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. without those elements and you're just trying to get sober for somebody else, you are guaranteed to fail. Um, so I, I was destined to save, I was determined rather to save this marriage because it's for sickness and for health, for better, or for worse, rich or poor, the whole deal. And so I put myself into another 30 day treatment program halfway through the treatment program. She came down to visit me on family night with divorce papers. Mm. And, you know, needless to say, that didn't really help my recovery a whole lot. And, um, and so, so it kind of continued. I, I, finally woke up one morning with a, uh, it, it felt like a pounding headache. And I was, I'd gone to bed alone. I, I don't really recall what happened. I woke up with a pounding headache and I looked down on the floor and there's a puddle of blood. And I'm thinking, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And I follow this little trail of blood all the way out to the living room. And one of, uh, I had a big uh, horseshoe shaped bar in the middle of my living room. And one of the bar stools was tipped over and my favorite stein was broken. So I realized I must've fallen. And I go and I look in the mirror and the entire left side of my face is purple and black and blue. And my eye is not just bloodshot, it's full of blood. And I remember my mom came over because I got, I went to the liquor store and they all looked at me and I made some excuse that I fell at work. Mm-hmm. And my mom looked at me and I remember her saying, you're breaking my heart, mm-hmm. son. You're breaking my heart. And so that moment I was like, okay, I got to get serious about this. Yeah. And so I, I went and, and I got sober and I lived in California uh, and, um, uh, where uh, Newport Beach and, uh, and a little bit in Huntington Beach for about six months. And, and it was the greatest time of my life until I came back here. And this is where the demons lived. And this is where all the stuff between my ears lived. All the stuff that I didn't want to face, it lived here. So almost immediately, it didn't take long. It, it, was, it was about two, three months. I said, you know what? I've been sober for a little while now, like all of eight months. I said, I'd like to have a beer. I think I'm good now. And the whole cycle began to repeat itself because off I went to the races. Um, fast forward two years, I'm watching everything crumble around me. I've lost girlfriends. I've lost friends. I've lost jobs. I couldn't stay at the hotel anymore because it was interrupting my drinking. I took a job even at Whole Foods and they were con- uh, you, you know, coming down on me saying I smelled like alcohol, which I did because I was drinking um, until finally I got to the point, I started taking anti-anxiety medicine, you know, sort of like a, like Xanax along with alcohol. And my life was just an absolute blur. And finally, I, I remember I, this is my God moment. I, I was laying there in bed and I said to myself, I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. That's as, as simple as it is right now. I can't keep living like this or I'm going to die. So I called up my mom and I said, I need to do something. And she said, okay, what do you want to do? I said, I need to go through a medical detox and then we'll figure it out. And so I checked into a place called West Pine up in Denver and underwent a five-day medical detox. Three, 72 hours of that was the worst physical and mental um, state I've ever been in. Shaking so bad, I couldn't even uh, hold a spoon to my mouth. You know, vomiting blood, the the whole deal. You, I mean, this is how serious this thing can get. And emotionally thinking, if I could just run out this door, I'm sure I could find alcohol somewhere. You know, because I was just battling with my own head at that point. And that's why when people are suffering with alcohol, it's so easy for people to say, well, just stop. Hmm. You, you can't just stop. It doesn't work like that. But as the, the hours 
crawled by like days. I started to feel a little bit better and a little bit better. And after five days, they finally released me uh, to uh, to my mom and took me back home. And I remember I was having this uh, this this moment. I was getting checked out in the hospital before I left. You know, they're checking all like make sure that my liver was still functioning. And I was laying there staring up at the lights. I heard this voice as loud as I'm talking to you right now say, it changes now, not tomorrow, not an hour, not in a minute, right now. And boom, just like that. And just tears streaming down my cheeks. And I, I wrote a note to myself that says, just remember how you feel at this exact moment that you never want to feel again. And I keep that it's right by my bedstand, right behind me there. Um, and, uh, and from that moment on, I said, no matter how tough things are, things will never be as tough as they were. Mm. And I started to realize you can't out drink a problem. You can't out drink pain. So what do I do? What, what, what course do I take? And I found a, a buddy of mine who was actively involved in, uh, in Herbalife, which is multi-level marketing. But the thing that attracted me so much was he was healthy, he was happy, but he was helping people. Mm. And I thought, I need to help people. I wasn't passionate about shake mix. <laughs> I wasn't passionate about, uh, about diet products, uh, but I was passionate about helping people. Mm. And, uh, and that's where we got to. I, I just started helping um, all these people like work out and, and cause I was feeling better. I was hiking mountains. I was doing all these things that I never thought I could do. And uh, we started hosting these things called fit camps three times a week, free workouts for the community. Then we, we leased a 4,000 square foot warehouse and did it five days a week, totally free. If people wanted to shake, they could buy one, no big deal. I ended up losing a ton of money, but it was great because I remained sober and I was doing what is absolutely necessary in this world. And that's helping people. It doesn't matter how much money you earn and how, uh, you know, what kind of car you drive. If you're not helping people and you're not giving back, and you know it's a life not worth living. Um, and so in 2015, we were doing a, an event with the uh, American Red Cross. The uh, the Red Cross and Herbalife worked together there for a, a little bit. Uh, if you donated blood, you got an Herbalife little protein bar. And one of the gals that came to my club worked for the Red Cross. And so she got the fire department, everyone there. And she said, I sent out a press release and this new radio station in Colorado Springs picked up this press release. Wondered if we'd like to go in and talk about it on air. And I said, nah. I'm not interested. I don't want to be on radio. I don't have zero interest <laughs> of being on radio. It, it reminds me of just interject briefly yeah, how often, you know, that, that saying of God thinks about and looks at our plans and he just laughs, you know, he, oh, here absolutely. you are, you don't want to be in radio. Yeah. And then yeah, what, you, what happened yeah, after yeah, that? Yeah, you want God to laugh? Just tell him your plans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I went into the uh, the station that day and. Uh, it was uh, about five minutes in and I, I talked in the microphone and the owner of the station kind of looked at his co-host and, uh, and said, Hey, have you ever been on radio before? I said, no, no, I've been on radio. And he slides me this laminated card. That's a little thing that we read at the end of public service announcements. Mm -hmm. And I read it into the, he's like, could you just read this from the microphone for me? And I read into the microphone and he goes, can you call me tomorrow? <laughs> and he, so he started following me on Facebook and, uh, every day, uh, since I got sober, uh, every morning and every night, almost without fail, there's been a couple instances here and there. It's always something motivational or positive. Hmm. It, it, always. If I got stuff going on in my life, I don't bring that to social media. Social media is noisy enough. Um, and, and so he, he said, 
why don't you do a little segment? It'll be every Monday morning for about a minute and a half called Monday Morning Motivation with Johnny. And I was like, this is just silly. This is just <laughs> silly. I just started dating this girl. And, you know, I thought that nah, Herbalife is going to be the way that I, I do everything I'm supposed to do in this world, even though I'd lost a lot of money. And, you know, fast forward six months, suddenly he said, I'd like you to do a Sunday show for me. You know, just from 12 to 3. You can have some fun with it. You know, I, I maybe sharpen your skills a little bit. I was doing this all for free. Mm. And that Sunday show suddenly turned into uh, a noon show where I was called the All Request Lunch Hour with Johnny. You know, and then um, about a year and a half ago, uh, the, the former co-host, her husband got restationed in the military. And he had to find a replacement co-host. And he said, you know what, Johnny, I think you're the guy. Yeah. And now we've, we've won a bunch of awards and uh, we're nominated for some more. I've married the love of my life. We just had our first baby, three months old, baby Kennedy. I, mm -hmm. I drive my dream car. I live in my dream house. I've got a dream job. I've spoken to tens of thousands of people, including your listeners right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all because of one simple decision. And that's to say, let go, you know, let go. And if there's any evidence of my mad ramblings here so far of, of the presence of God is the fact that I am here talking to you. Hmm. I was drinking upwards of eight bottles of wine a day. You know, um, I, I was, my liver was failing. My kidneys were failing. And, and that's ironically the time that I considered myself almost agnostic saying, ah, prove it to me. And he's like, I don't know how much more I can prove it to you <laughs> until finally it got to the point that I said, okay, well, what's not working in my life? And I kind of gathered all the things that aren't working in my life. And that's why I tell people when I try and help them is if you can find the one thing in your life where everything bad is attached to it, move it, yeah. eliminate it, and then see what your life might be like. Hmm. Is it easy being sober? Yes. And that's a that's an answer most people don't expect, because I look at my life as a, as an addict and an alcoholic. That's difficult. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm having to cover my breath to you know make sure people don't smell the liquor on me. As it turns out, everyone could. They were all just didn't want to be mean to me. Mm. Um, you know, but I mean, the money I've I've saved, the relationships I've saved, the feeling I have inside every single morning when I wake up and I see my beautiful wife and my beautiful baby and my dogs. You know, the, the feeling I, I know when, when I can see that desperation in someone else's eyes and I can lead them down a path that's going to give them a life that they've always envisioned, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Amen. Huh. Amen. What a story. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably with us. I have a lot of questions, a few things yeah. I want to unpack from the story. And then I've got some questions kind of moving forward about what's been going on for you more recently. Sure. <clears throat> Looking back though, you talked about how you were ignoring what was going on inside of you and you were mm. keeping your pain really private. And yeah. these two words, like keeping it private and ignoring what's going on, these feel to me like they're probably at the heart of addiction. They're probably at the heart of being stuck in that struggle. Can you just unpack those a little bit further and share with our listeners? If, if there's anyone who's listening who is either struggling right now themselves and right. ignoring how they feel or keeping their pain private, or if they know someone who is, how can they understand or realize the pattern that they're in and shift right. that pattern? We, the first thing is, is we're not alone. You know, I, I could walk outside right now and find anybody, any stranger at any gas station and say, hey, do you or someone you know struggle with addiction? Mm -hmm. And chances are the answer is yes. 
So first off, we're collectively not talking about this as a group because there's a stigma behind it. If I lost a bunch of weight or I went into remission from cancer, I would share that all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what I want to do now is, is if, if someone said, hey, you can go into remission from cancer if you do this, 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 and this. Sure enough, I do this, 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 and this, and I'm in remission for cancer. Do it, Would I go and tell everybody that had cancer? Mm-hmm. Of course. Alcoholism and addiction has this stigma behind it that you know, you're less than. When people don't realize the the kinds of people that suffer are not just the brown baggers, you know, you might see in a park that's stereotyped. It's your pilots and your doctors and your lawyers, uh, you know, to your construction workers and your cooks. It's it's so many people. So it, it just kind of depends now when it goes back to unpacking what's what's in your head and how to get out of that state. That really just comes down to saying, okay, why are you drinking the way you're drinking? I wish I could have a have a glass of wine like my wife. I I really do. That's just not how I'm wired because I was trying to cover something up. I was trying to escape a pain. Therapy is an amazing resource. Church is an amazing resource. Uh, fellowship is an amazing resource. Uh, resource groups are an amazing resource. Finding like people, using social media for good, you know, and and saying that there's so many of us hurting. Because right when you think you have the biggest story, the worst story, the cruelest story, the most hurtful story, I guarantee you, there'll be someone else that'll come along and you'll go, oh my God, <laughs> what am I even complaining about? The yeah. thing is, is everyone tries to outdrink their problem. They try and, you know, well, it hurts so bad. I'm in so much pain and I'm so sad. Okay. So when you drank as you drank or you used as you used, did you wake up and the problem was gone? Of course not. I'm yet to find one person. I keep, I'm on the lookout. I said, if you can out drink your problem, you have found the answer because it doesn't exist. So it's, uh, for me, it was, you know, mine was therapy in church. Honestly, it, it was, it was finding people that were hurting and that were also able to be vulnerable. Yeah. I also taught that being vulnerable is not a, a, a necessarily a, a admirable quality. And I couldn't disagree more. Right. You know, there's no reason to hold this so tight, like, like some sort of, uh, some sort of virus, some sort of disease, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, if I have something wrong and I can talk to somebody and they can tell me their story and then we can say, well, there's gotta be a solution here. And you can talk this through like the pain that was caused with my father dying or, or being abandoned by him when I was eight years old, mm-hmm. I am so far from alone <laughs> with the 7 billion people on this planet. You know, the, it happens all the time. So finding, I would say groups, therapy, church, fellowship, those are going to be the ways to start to really unpack what's going on between your ears. Yeah. When you're not hiding from it and you're not drinking to push down an emotion, then everything starts to open up. And then you look like a, 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 a sniveling, crying, weeping, sobbing, snotty human. And it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> it yeah. feels so great to have a good cry sometimes. Uh, it really does. It really yeah. does. Actually, one of the things that we do in our men's retreats is we create this space for vulnerability. And the first thing that we share is a concept called Johari's window, which okay. is a concept that suggests if you and I are in a relationship, whatever we can both see, that's in the arena, in any relationship. And whatever's in the arena is what we can work collectively together in to shift, change, grow, work through, develop, heal from is what's in the arena, what we can both see. And there are two things that keep the arena from being as big as it can possibly be. And one is your mask. And this is what you're referring to. 
The mask is the things that we're hiding, the, the things that we're keeping private, the things that we don't want to share with anyone else. Right. For us, oftentimes in retreat, it's like it's addiction to, it could be alcohol like you're talking about. It could be gambling. It could be uh, pornography. It sure. could be a number of different things. And it might not be addiction. It might just be you know, for a salesperson that they're afraid to ask for referrals and they keep that right. to themselves. Right. And if they could just do that one thing, they could grow their business, but they're avoiding it because they're afraid. And when we share vulnerably and we let the mask down, at least with like a safe, small group of people, it could be your therapist, could be your friend, could be your family member, could be a group like ours or some other group. There's so much power in like bringing that mask, that hidden thing into the arena so that now it's, it's exposed and we can talk through it and we can work through it. It becomes so much easier to solve that problem when it's in the arena. Yeah. And the other thing that keeps the arena from being as small, as big as it we'd like it to be, is what we call your blind spots. And so all of us also have blind spots. And the blind spot is what you cannot see, but everyone else can see about what's going on with you. And right. so we're oblivious. <laughs> and so just like we need to share vulnerably, to let our mask uh, down, what we really need to do to make the arena bigger is receive feedback and allow our blind spots to be exposed and let our defense down enough yeah. that we can receive feedback. And I think when we take things away from being private, when we stop ignoring, we can start to solve the real problem. Absolutely. And uh, uh, kudos for running such a retreat with such a important element uh, that, that you just explained. Because uh, again, especially as guys, mm -hmm. we are taught that you can't be vulnerable and you can't be emotional. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say to heck with that mm -hmm. because when you're hurting, you know, I, I don't care. It's like to be able to talk, especially with other guys and to let that just flow yeah. and say, you know, because it, it might be like, for me, it was the, the death of, of, of a lot of family members and how I dealt with it and how I didn't process it. But like you said, maybe it did happen in childhood. Maybe there was something with, with inappropriate behavior between, uh, you know, like, like, uh, peers or, or, or people that you're supposed to look up to. Maybe it was abuse, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, we're in the here and now, and there's a chance that we can heal. There's a chance that we can change. But like you said, it's first bringing it out to the open. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so many of us today too, we, we try to ignore our feelings so much that we do it with our phone. You know, most yeah. of us are addicted to our phones and like whenever we're starting to feel something that doesn't feel so good, we look at our phone or maybe yeah. we eat some food or we like put on Netflix and we just do whatever we can. And for some people it's drugs and some people it's alcohol. Of course. There are many people yeah. who are addicted and, and haven't recognized the addiction of their phone or technology or movies, this way to escape what we're really feeling. And yeah. I think only when we face it, and, and to your point, vulnerability, I think, is strength. Oh, Sharing is strength. And we absolutely. probably have 80% of the men who come to our retreats cry at some point during the weekend. And these are high-achieving masculine men. Oh, yeah. And it's because they do that, because they have the outlet for that, they can go home and be strong. Yeah. Be strong for their businesses, et cetera. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's, that's really valuable. One of the other things that uh, stuck out in your story was this conversation you had with your mom. And it, it felt to me like that was a conversation when she said, you're breaking my heart, that gave you more leverage mm -hmm. to change. Does that feel true for you? And, and do you want to talk a little bit about leverage and like whether it was that or a combination of some other things? Like what was it that gave you enough leverage to say enough? Right. Um, I, I think my mom is absolutely one of the, the biggest reasons. I mean, now, obviously, my wife and my child, I did not know them, obviously, mm -hmm. at the time. So, yeah, when, when my mom 
I, I, I thought of, of us watching my sister pass away in front of us from a drug overdose. I remember us, you know, like all the different places I've sprinkled some of my sister's ashes. But I also remember watching my mom cripple over and cry for no good reason for years and years. Now it's been 17 years, 18 years now, I guess. Um, and, uh, and thinking that she was going to have to bury her only other child, mm. you know, because of, of me thinking that I was in control, mm. which I wasn't. So for, yeah, when you hear, when you feel someone else's heart actually breaking, that was, that was a big moment. And like I said, I can only pin it as, as a God moment when I was laying there and it was like, no more, not another day, not another hour, not another minute. It changes right now. Um, that's where I feel incredibly blessed because I was able to at that moment suddenly have what uh, one therapist I talked to because, you know, I, I told him all the history that I've kind of told you, um, and, and he was more of an alcohol therapist. So he had heard, you know, some crazy numbers as far as blood alcohol content and amounts, this, that, and the other. And when I, but by the fifth or sixth time I went to go see him, I said, I said, look, doc, I, I just don't feel like, like I'm an alcoholic anymore. Like I don't have these cravings. And he said it was called um, spontaneous alcoholic remission. Mm. He's like, it doesn't happen very often. He said, he said, it happened to him. And he says, he thinks it's happened to me where suddenly just like that, things changed. He mm -hmm. said, now the best thing I can do is be able to take this message of suddenly having this clarity and talk to as many people as I possibly can about it. Yeah. Cool. You know? So it's clear to me based on your share that the first most important thing someone can do when they're struggling with addiction to overcome it is to share vulnerably, like whether it's Absolutely. a therapist or a group or whoever, your church, to share vulnerably. If you were gonna like lay out steps of how to beat addiction, what's, what's next after sharing? Accountability. Mm. Absolute accountability to say, okay, this is on me now. I, I have this problem and I need to fix it. Mm. I've created this. It is up to me to accept, you know, you, because you don't get to choose how you make other people feel, uh -huh. you know, um, some people say that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is the only way uh, to, to go. If that works for you, terrific. For me, it was sitting down with all of my friends and all of my loved ones and saying, look, I've been a mess mm. and I'm not now. So can you get to know me from this point forward? Yeah. You would learn to accept me from this point forward instead of holding my past, which I can't change over my head. So yeah. the accountability, the vulnerability, um, and then, and then instead of talking about it, prove it, show me, hmm. show me that you're doing what it takes. Show me that, that you, you have a desire to take your life in a different direction, because if you don't want to get sober for you, don't waste my time. Hmm. Because I want to save everyone. I did, especially in the beginning. And, you know, when the conversation starts off with, well, my mom really wants me to quit drinking. My girlfriend really wants to quit me to quit drinking. My, my wife seems to think I drink too much and I really need to cut down. Then I say, do you want to? And they say, well, I don't think I have a problem. Hmm. Then, you know, it's, it's kind of a moot point. Yeah. So, you know, it's that accountability, it's that honesty, it's that vulnerability and making yeah. sure that you are aware, like you want to do this for you. Mm. Yeah. What I always try and make sure I show people is not what they're going to lose by being sober either. Everyone says, it just seems boring. I'm like, boring, no hangovers. 
<laughs> a ton more money in my pocket. I get to do all the same things. I can go to concerts and Bronco games and I can go to bars and restaurants. I can do all these things. Mm -hmm. They have stuff other than alcohol. Mm -hmm. But the great thing is I'm present all the time. Yeah. I, I get to be aware all the time. I get to remember all the time. Yeah. You know, it's not boring in the least, you know, and yeah. then I share with them, you know, I, my house, my cars, if they want to look at the material thing, the love I have, my, my kid, my positivity, the, the following I've gotten on social media, mm -hmm. my jobs, all these are benefits of one decision. Yeah. So I tell people what they can gain from quitting drinking. Yeah. You know, not, not the negatives that, that people somehow associate with sobriety. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So what I'm hearing in that one in like kind of the, the prove it step is that it's about vision. It's about them having a vision for what their life can be like without alcohol or without yeah. the addiction. And for that vision to be so compelling. Yeah. You must chase it. Right. Right. You know, I mean, because if someone would have told me earlier and said, you know, you, you could have, you know, this, this house that overlooks the park and you could have this uh, really cool SUV in the garage and you can have this beautiful wife and this beautiful baby, like just a fairy tale life. Mm. And this job where you, you listen to the radio and talk with celebrities and get paid for it. Right. Said, this is all yours. All you got to do is quit drinking. Oh, done. I would have done that a while ago. Yeah. Pretty good you know, deal. That right? sounds like a pretty good deal to me. <laughs> You know, those are just all uh, results of me making this decision. Yeah. So I want to make sure that people understand that, you know, that, that sobriety, if you're struggling, it's, it's not necessarily easy, but it's incredibly simple and it's mm. so worth it. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. So what I'm hearing is number one, share vulnerably. Number two, have accountability. And number three, prove it with your actions. And with the accountability, it sounds like the way you look at it is being accountable to yourself and your own actions more yeah. than receiving accountability from others. Right. Because people will criticize you nonstop. Yeah. You know, it's easy, especially in this world of keyboard warriors for us to criticize anybody for anything. Mm. You have to, you have to put that out and just say, okay, am I doing these things? Is it my decisions that's wrecking my potential for having the life that, that I, I was given by God? Yeah. Cool. You know, if, if I'm, if I'm the one making these decisions, then I need to take responsibility for that. Yeah. If other people want to sit there and yell and tell me all the things I've done wrong to them, you're going to get that, you know, yeah. but, uh, and that's, you just got to understand that comes with the territory. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Nobody's perfect. No one, no one can cast stones. Uh, there, well, there's one person, but you know, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the battle of, of addiction, you, you take accountability with yourself, uh, first and foremost. Yeah. And I love that. Just like owning your accountability in front of others. You know, we teach the 15 laws of the uncommon leader. And the 10th law is that uncommon leaders, true leaders own their mistakes. Yeah. And I think just having that face to face and just owning it, you know, ultimately I think people are afraid that their ego is going to be hurt or that they'll be less respected when they apologize. And ultimately it's the exact opposite that people yeah. honor you and respect you more and appreciate you more when you just stand in and own it. So yeah. thank you so fail much. Fail forward. Always yeah. fail forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I want to say that I think these three steps sound amazing and I'm guessing that there's at least some listeners who right now are saying to themselves, yeah, that, that sounds too good to be true. Or I've tried that and it hasn't worked for me. And so you may not have the answer to this, but I do want to at least ask if there's somebody who's like, man, I've, I've been through that. I've tried to share. I've tried to hold myself accountable. I've tried to prove it. I've tried to have a vision for what's possible without the addiction and I'm still just stuck. What would you say to those people? Make a, grab a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. On the left side, in the upper left-hand corner, write benefits of drinking. Hmm. 
and on the right side, right uh, negatives of drinking or using or gambling or pornography, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And honestly, I'm talking pen to paper, not in your head, yeah. not on your phone, pen to paper, go through the motor skill of doing it mm. and write out the benefits mm. and then write out the negatives. I get a lot of people and they're really mad when I make them do this part Yeah, because they start writing out the negatives. I'm like, do you need more paper? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and then that's when you can really pull out the accountability piece. Yeah. If you can't look at your handwritten and say the negatives are so much stronger than the positives, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and you choose to keep a, a, adopting negative behavior, then it's going to take something that will happen to you yeah. that is going to make you say, okay, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was literally health wise life or death. Mm. That's where I was at. Yeah. You know? If you're going to lose a job or maybe break up with a girlfriend that you've been with for, you know, a, a couple of weeks, that's not compelling enough. Mm -hmm. You need something that's going to say, you know, like this has got to change yeah. now. Yeah. You know, if you want to take the island, burn the boats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what we found to be true in sales and influence and everything around decision making is ultimately a decision to change comes from this place of leverage, having enough leverage that it's either so painful to remain this, the same that we yeah. must change or it's so incredibly pleasurable to imagine like what life could be like after right. the change. And we need to either have this, this compelling vision one way or the other that like creates enough leverage. And for many people, it is that like life or death moment. It's that like final chance that they like make the change. And for some people in that life or death moment, they don't make it through that life or death moment oh, of course. to create the change. And so if we can do things like talking about it, if we can do things like writing it down, if we can begin to feel the pain of continuing the pattern before we actually play out actually continuing the pattern, feel right. the pain of how bad it can get before we get there. You know, it's, it's been said that the brain can't tell the difference between something that's real and something that's vividly imagined. So yeah. if we can feel the pain of it before it happens, maybe we can get enough leverage to avoid the pain in the first place. That's really well said. I, I think uh, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, the, the brain is not here to make you happy necessarily. The brain is here to make you survive. Mm. And so we will try and do anything we can to avoid discomfort. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I think uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the, on the head there. Mm. I think it's, it's one of those things where it, uh, unless you have such a compelling vision, why would you, if, if, if your list of benefits is so long, Mm. from from your behavior then you're not going to change mm. you know yeah. if you take a real truthful look though typically well so far 100 percent of the time you know a, a harmful behavior if you take a really good look at it you know it, it's it's not going to continue again yeah. well i think i think that's a really wonderful place to start with and uh and, and to bring some prayer to it and to just find the right sources to share with and for and some people that will like be this. AMA or ga or whatever it is yeah telling your story over and over creates more accountability and more leverage i'd imagine right and like i say you know people say to me often thank you so much for the inspiration whether because i don't deal with just addiction it's depression anxiety things like that and and i get thanked so many times i say you know if i can help one person one person just make that shift. I'm not talking about, I don't want to be a champion of their cause. I don't want to be exalted by any means. That's not my goal. My goal is, is just to give them a little nudge to say like, look, this can be yours. You're talking to a guy that like, that my face was broken. I, I had fractured my cheek and my eye socket in three places. Hmm. My blood alcohol was 0.54 at one point, wow. which is, uh, you know, past lethal. 
Mm. I get it. I understand what it's like, at least on that end. And I'm showing you what's possible. Yeah. You know, and so if any of your listeners, they, they would say, hey, I want to talk to that guy, send them my direction. I would love to talk with them. If even for a moment, if I can give them one word of wisdom, because okay. that's what we're here to do. You know, God did not create us to struggle and be depressed and be anxious. He created us to live and, yeah. and, 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 and exalt this beautiful world with every yeah. wonderful experience possible every single moment of every day. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely uh, take you up on that. And at the end of the episode, we'll share how our listeners can get in touch with you. I want to talk a little bit about the other side of this. So how good it can get. And just ask if you could share a little bit about, uh, as we transition here, about what it's like to be a radio show host and talk to celebrities and, and be a local celebrity, really, and, and get yeah. to live out this dream job and, and the professional side of, of like shifting and conquering this, this challenge, this addiction. What's life like now for those of us who've never done anything like what you're doing? Yeah. Fill us in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the fact is every morning, if one, mornings come very early. You know, I, my alarm's set for 4.30 uh, and uh, everyone says, oh, that's, that's early. Uh, the first 30 minutes of every day, I don't need to get up at 4.30. I could probably get up at 5 and still make my show uh, on time. Um, but the first half hour is just kind of like a devotion to me and to my life. And I, and I set out my gratitude and attentions every single day. Mm. Um, so incredibly important because okay. then I get to head to the studio. I mean, now I get to one, never have to deal with traffic, which is awesome. <laughs> no, no traffic on the way into work. And then I, I go into this radio studio and you know, I've, I've addressed this on, on air before a couple of times. And that's how I knew that I had come to a place where I was really comfortable in talking about about my issues when I got, you know, 30, 40,000 people listening live. And I was willing to say, Hey, look, this is a situation that I had, but I mean, we get to, we're a locally owned radio station and we get to have amazing local guests. And to me, that's even more important than the celebrities, mm -hmm. you know, having some of these incredible musicians come in the studio, you know, nine times out of 10, they're all very, very nice. You know, every once in a while you'll get some that think they're a little bit more important than they, they might be, but you know, so it comes with money and fame. I understand. Uh, but like literally all we do is just to touch on local events and listen to great music and talk to uh, local business owners that are really trying to, uh, you know, do whatever it takes so they can live their dream. Um, it, it is literally the best job I could ever have. A lot of times people ask, they say, is being a radio DJ as much fun as I think it is? I said, probably more. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, yeah. I, I get to kiss my wife goodbye in the morning. I always, uh, and gentlemen, by the way, if you're listening, uh, write your wife a love note mm. every morning. If you have to leave, leave the house before she does, mm. it goes a long way. I've been doing that every day for four years. Mm. Um, so I get to leave her a note. I, I go and I, I, I kiss the baby. And then by 10 AM, I'm done with my day. Mm. I'm done with my day, you know, and I get to come home and I get to give my wife a little bit of a break and, and we get to sit there and, and be with our family. We haven't had to put our baby into a, into daycare as a result. You know, it's been her and I get to, to, to raise this little angel. Um, I get to impact the community. And now I've gotten to have this, uh, this opportunity with you, which came through the radio station. Uh, on Saturday night, I'm at the Broadmoor Hotel is the MC for the uh, Newborn Hope event, which is one of the biggest galas the Broadmoor has all year. Uh, and then a week after that, I'm doing an evening of inspiration up at Castle Pines as the MC for a center for uh, – uh, adults with uh, developmental disabilities. Mm. Um, and then right after that, I'm actually a keynote speaker for uh, an addictions council, which is going to wow. be a lot of fun. 
Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So many cool opportunities. And those all came as a result of the radio, which obviously came yeah. as a result of everything else we've been talking about. Yeah. So I get to reach out and be, you know, and, and the cool thing about being a, a radio celebrity, if you will, is not that many people know my face as well as they know mm -hmm. my voice. <laughs> Hang on so one second. Get around town without getting bugged too much. I got my got my dog begging to come in and hear what I'm doing here. <laughs> <and scratching laughs> the um, but oh, yeah, so uh, it's when you have a job that you absolutely love, you know, and it, there's life becomes so much better. And when you're present for your life, life becomes so much better. Mm -hmm. And you're present for your wife, life becomes so much better. And you're mm -hmm. present for yourself. That's yeah. the best thing of all. Yes. Presence. What a yeah. great, great theme. So I, I do want to ask, and I've got just a couple more questions for you, but one of sure. them is, can you share with us your favorite one or two guests that you've got to interact with on the radio or one or two events that you've been to? Like, what are some of the coolest experiences you've had? Uh, on the radio, uh, Karina will, will know this one was Cody Johnson. Mm. Um, getting to, uh, getting to meet him, um, and interview him because now, I mean, he just sang the national anthem for game seven of the world series, you know, nice. he, uh, and just a couple years ago, he was one of these struggling musicians that just kept touring and touring. And it was when I had first kind of gotten into radio and I was, I was, <laughs> dog's got a squeaky toy. He's really begging <laughs> for attention. Um, I was, uh, I was very almost nervous to, to meet him because I loved his music so much. And the great thing is when I got to sit down and talk with him, he was thanking me more than I was thanking him. Yeah. Amazing. It was terrific. Yeah. Uh, um, another really cool one. And this goes back a little ways. You probably heard of Clint Black. Yeah. Yeah. And get to interview him because we were thinking that uh, we'd heard that Clint Black was, could be kind of a, kind of abrasive, you know, because uh, he was a big star, you know, he was, he's one of the legends. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got a chance to interview him. We thought it'd be a five-minute interview, and he spent an hour with us wow. and shared his grandmother's uh, pasta sauce recipe with us. <laughs> <laughs> he has one of the best quotes. Uh, pardon me, one second here. He has uh, he has one of the uh, the best quotes uh, that we've gotten on the radio. We got to a chance to record it because my co-host's name is Dave, and uh, he says. He says, you're listening to Mountain Country with Dave and Johnny, the two faces that definitely belong on radio. <laughs> mm, amazing. Amazing. You know, so, so you meet uh, these, these, these legends that you grew up with, um, and, and, uh, and they just turn out to be some of the nicest, most yeah. kind people you could ever, ever hope for. Yeah, that's super cool. And obviously, you're doing an incredible job winning a bunch of awards, and, and hopefully it just keeps rolling and keeps getting even better, and your listenership grows, and I love the work that you're doing and you're just, you're a treasure to Colorado Springs. I do want to ask about your family a little bit. Sure. You are a relatively new husband and father. And we talked about this before we started the show. Uh, what kinds of like dad or husband tips you might have for the guys listening. And you're like, Oh man, I'm brand new. I don't know. Yeah. And then you shared a couple of things. I was like, wow, yeah, some ideas. You've got some things that are working. You just mentioned the, the love note for four years with your wife when you go yeah. into work and, what an amazing gift for her and what a great way to keep romance and love and passion in your relationship to do something like that. What are some of the other thing that the men listening to things that the men listening to the show could do for their wives, for their kids to show up powerfully in their family? Right. We get so busy. We just get so busy that the little things are kind of forgotten. So chances are you're going to be near a grocery store at some point, make it set a reminder in your phone. We all have one of these that you can set a reminder and uh, every Friday she gets flowers. 
Mm. And I'm not talking about the giant bouquet of, you know, the three dozen roses, you know, just something, just a $5 bouquet. Yeah. It's all about that thought, fellas. It's yeah. all about that thought that just says, I'm thinking about you. Mm. You know, awesome. you, you, even if you grab a dandelion and you bring it home and you say, hey, yeah. sweetheart, uh, you know, th this is for you. Sending her a text while, while she's at work or she's a stay at home mom, whatever it is saying, Hey, I just want to remind you how much I love you. Mm. You know, um, I can't wait to see you. Uh, thank you for being my wife. Thank you for loving me. Just little things like that. If, if you treat the relationship the way you did in the beginning, there won't be an end. Mm. You'll stay so in love, you know, and don't sweat the small stuff because most of it is small stuff. You know, choose your battles. I, I get, you know, lack of sleep and we get tired and we get frustrated. But really, you'll you know, focus on what's really important. And, and that's that's love. Love is, is, yeah. is the biggest thing. And when it comes to this baby, yeah, I mean, that baby does things with my heart that I didn't even know were possible. Everyone told me it might be possible, but I had no idea. Yeah. Um, but, but do not forget to date your wife. Yes. You know, you get a sitter, get a relative, take your kiddos, you know, Find something for them to do for the evening, even if it's just for a couple hours. Mm. Take your wife on a date. It's so, so important. Yes, absolutely. Well, I like to implement things right away. My team knows that if there's something that's important, like I'm going to immediately send the text. I'm going to immediately do the thing. Yeah. Set it for later. I might forget it. And so I literally, while you were answering that question, just texted my wife and maybe she'll listen to this podcast episode. Maybe she won't. Maybe she'll never find me out. But I texted her and I said, hey, exclamation. I just want to remind you how much I love you. So thank you so much for that tip. And if yes. you are listening right now, want to do the same, just do it right now. Send that text. What a great tip. Thank you. Yeah. so much, Johnny. And I'm sure that some of the people listening to the show today are going to want to connect with you further. And you even mentioned so generously, so graciously that if someone's struggling with addiction, you're willing to have a conversation with them. Of How course. People connect with you beyond today's call. On Facebook, they can find me. It's Johnny Emerson Joy, or they can usually just put Johnny Joy. I've also got a business Facebook page, and that's johnnyjoyradio.com. Mm. And that's on Facebook as well. Or uh, you can find me. I do all of the radio stations, social media, and that's uh, pretty easy. And you can stream our station too, listen to some pretty cool tunes, and hear my show, which is 6 to 10, Monday through Friday mornings here in Colorado, and that's at mymountaincountry.com. Mymountaincountry.com. And Johnny Joy, which I hear is actually your real name. That is actually my real name. And I think it was destined because my name, prior to me getting married, it's not very often that a husband takes his wife's last name. But when your wife's last name is as cool as Joy. Yes. <laughs> and she's going to be going for her doctorate. She's way smarter than me. Way smarter than me. <laughs> um, she's like, well, I want to be Dr. Joy. And for when we have kids someday, I would like us to have the same last name. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's kind of funny because... Initially, when we started dating, everyone was like, you're going to become Johnny Joy. I said, no, I'm not taking her last name. And then suddenly the, the dating turned into an engagement. And then the engagement kind of came up. We're like, you know what? I said, Emerson, though, is my middle name. And that's important to me. Ralph Waldo Emerson is my great, great uncle, which is pretty mm. cool. Uh, and um, uh, so I said, if you put Emerson in your middle name, I'll take Joy as my last name. Yeah. But I've always gone by Johnny. As a bartender, I was always Johnny. Mm -hmm. But now on my driver's license, my middle name is Emerson. So it's John E. Joy. Oh, my gosh. That <laughs> is incredible. What a perfect name. What a great final story to the episode. Johnny, it has been an absolute pleasure. I hope this isn't the last time we talk. And thank you so much for just being of service to our listeners today. 
of course, if there's anything I can do, uh, please, I'd be more than happy to help. Thank you for uh, allowing my my somewhat ADD uh, train of thought to go all over the place. I, I hope there's some value taken from this. Our pleasure. Cheers. F2I Nation, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We've got a special gift for you that you can find at F2IGift.com. It's an audio recording of some of our most treasured content called The Rules of Engagement. It's eight rules that are going to help you show up more powerfully in your business, show up more powerfully for your family, show up more powerfully in your relationship with God, in your community, and really in everything that you do. We found that these eight rules really help people move the needle forward and become more of who God created them to be. We hope that you'll enjoy them. Again, there are gifts to you for free at f2igift.com. We'll see you next week.